the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. And welcome, welcome on this uh, Martin Luther King uh, Day. It's uh, a moment when a mirror is held up to America, according to what the president said. And joining me on this program is Brian Rohrbaugh. Many of you are going to know that name. Brian Rohrbaugh, of course, the former director of the Colorado Right to Life and several other organizations. And, of course, what many people don't know, he was a vice presidential candidate um, with Alan Keyes. And so very, very glad to have Brian Rohrbaugh with me on the program. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the program. Well, thanks for having me, Gino. Well, it's great to have you. And, of course, today, 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 January 17th, um, marks the day that many people are, are celebrating, remembering, reflecting on the life and the work of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And you are the one who told me that today um, the president gave a speech and he talked about um, and the Associated Press reported and a number of different outlets reported that the president said that Americans must commit to the unfinished work of Martin Luther King, delivering jobs and justice and protecting, I'm quoting the president, quote, the sacred right to vote, a right from which all other rights flow. Now, that that statement in and of itself, I think I, I find very, very interesting um, because, again, to ask and answer the question, is the unfinished work of Martin Luther King Jr. for the government to, to j- deliver jobs for people who don't have jobs and justice? Now, what's interesting to me is that the president's view of justice and Martin Luther King Jr.'s view of justice seem to be very, very different. And when he says the sacred right to vote, a right from which all other rights flow, um, I I'm wondering if if we had Martin Luther King Jr. on the program and we asked him, do you think that the human rights and and I think what Martin Luther King would have been talking about is is the right to be alive, the right to dignity, the right to respect. I think it's safe to say that the the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., even though we had some theological differences, he believed that human beings were made and created in the image of God and that their rights came from a creator who created human beings in God's image. And it was the very fact that they're created in God's image that made them the recipients of dignities. Yeah, that, that's certainly right. And of course, let's state the obvious. 
it's not a right if it can be taken away by voting, by a corrupt government, by any other means. Our Constitution rightly acknowledges that we have inalienable rights, rights that cannot be removed, including the fundamental right to life. Right. And if you don't have the right to life, none of the rest of it matters. But in Joe Biden's world, rights can be voted on as long as you're voting with the right party. And see, this is so interesting to me. Because it seems to me that justice isn't an issue of being a Democrat or a Republican, that justice is an, is, is an issue that comes from the revelation that's given to us by God in Christ in the Bible. And that justice, and this is one of the things that I find very, very interesting about the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., his views of justice— weren't separated from his views about what kind of God God is, and that justice itself flows out of the attributes of God, and that justice and righteousness are often used synonymously in the Bible. And so we're back to that whole issue of that that the reason why justice becomes even a possibility is because we have a just God. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, leaving uh, leaving it up to men will generate the horrors we've seen throughout history. And so our rights absolutely come from God. We're created in his image. He set what our rights are, what the laws should be, the rules we live by, the the what governs decency and uh, love for our brothers, our neighbors, all of those things established by our Lord. You know, one of the things I saw in the news today, to his credit, is uh, Congressman Doug Lamborn in Colorado Springs um, once again publicly, basically, fundamentally reminding the world of the unborn's right to life. And Brian Rohrbaugh, I know that uh, tragically your son was murdered at Columbine High School now more than 20 years ago, and um, it was that tragic murder that caused you to, to reflect and reevaluate almost everything, including becoming involved in um, the pro-life movement. Tell us a little bit about um, where you think things have come over the last 20 years and and what what's going on in the in, in the so-called pro-life movement now? Okay, well, let me start back with with uh, my son being murdered at Columbine High School. Uh, just so your audience knows, I was what you would call a lukewarm Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood a tiny bit about God through the Bible. I'd attended churches that were nice but they really didn't serve up the meat of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I was left in the aftermath of this questioning what caused Columbine, Mm -hmm. what led to it. Um, What did I know about what led to it? Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, did I have responsibility? And uh, so it took a great deal of effort, uh, about seven years worth of fighting to get as much information as I could released about uh, 
what happened at Columbine. The actual events that surrounded that day. Right, exactly right. So uh, what was known before the attack? What kind of warnings were known? Uh, Could anything have been done to stop it? Um, Just everything that a grieving parent or, you know, someone who's lost a loved one is going to ask. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and that ultimately led to me realizing that my son died not because of an action he took, but because of an action I took. I let him go there, even though I knew that the public school system was not wholesome. It did not reinforce Christian values. Um, and I, and you know, I knew all of this because I had been in the public schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, anyhow, in the aftermath of Columbine, I started looking at the right to life and how our rights come from God, and that we do have a right to life. And I realized that the public school is actually the the facility that makes abortion public. Mm-hmm. You know, people are born knowing right from wrong, but when it comes to teaching someone that wrong is okay, the earlier age you start, the more palatable it is. My guest is Brian Rohrbaugh. We've got a whole lot to talk about, but I'm glad you've joined me. You know the number. It's 303-873-1935. I'll be back with more with Brian Rohrbaugh. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. My guest, Brian Rohrbaugh. And, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, different things in the news. Of course, this, the uh, Martin Luther King Junior holiday, and I'm happy, happy to get to that particular issue here in just a moment. But Brian, you know, we were talking a little bit about your own experience, and um, obviously, at the end of January, it marks the um, that sort of moment that many people mark on the Roe v. Wade decision, where where the United States Supreme Court basically. Um, authorized, if you will, abortion on demand uh, nationwide. You've rightly pointed out that the that the abortion catastrophe didn't begin with Roe v. Wade. Um, it didn't even begin with Colorado's legalization of abortion. Um, but over the years, obviously, you've thought long and hard about this subject. And just like you took a journey about your own um, – relationship with your son and the public school system, there was also a journey that you took about how how do we, as men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ, approach this issue of life? Because it doesn't seem that it's going to have a political solution. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably right. And, uh, you know, like I think most Christians, I kind of thought that uh, an organization by the name of National Right to Life mm-hmm. was fighting to end abortion and that they had the smartest people, uh, a legitimate strategy, and they were working towards that. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, when I was elected president of Colorado Right to Life, we actually had a different take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a uh, gentleman who's now passed away by the name of Bob Enyart actually had a completely different view 
and use the Bible to look at how and what we were fighting with abortion. And that opened my eyes uh, to what we were doing. And what I realized is there is a pro-life industry. There's obviously a pro-death industry, which would include Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say industry, I mean it's a, a well-designed organization, but its highest priority is to remain in business. It, it's like every institution. You work on your survival first. And what we discovered is we need a pro-life ministry, a ministry committed to the values of Jesus Christ. And uh, the goal was we need to look at this from a biblical point of view. We need to take action that honors God. And then we need to pray and let the Lord work in this. Um, but, But the big thing is that we don't compromise God's enduring commands as we're trying to save lives. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. We have a saying that it's a bad law if it ends with, and then you can kill the baby. For example, wait 48 hours, and then you can kill the baby. Get your parents' permission, then you can kill the baby. Get a judge to sign off, and then you can kill the baby. Um, After 22 weeks, you can't kill the baby, but that implicitly means that before 22 weeks, we're agreeing it's okay to kill the baby. These are immoral laws. They violate God's enduring command of do not murder. And then when we look at Planned Parenthood, their moral high ground, the thing they stand on is rape and incest. So they think you should be able to kill a baby because her father is a criminal. And the Bible explicitly tells us not to put a child to death for the crimes of his father. But this has been very common, and we've seen this come up in in the last few months. And you see around the country these bills that are trying to negotiate the murder of children. They're trying to regulate it. And the problem with regulating anything is you never get rid of it. And so in, I believe it was uh, April 27th, 1967, Colorado had a governor uh, with the last name of Love, how ironic, Mm -hmm. and he signed the first abortion law for Colorado, supposedly for rape and incest. And that opens the floodgate to killing children. And so the idea right now is people are saying Roe versus Wade will be overturned and this will get sent back to the state. Well, this started in the state. And really, what kind of country do we have if Oklahoma says you can kill a child um, before 22 weeks or 15 weeks? And Kansas says you can kill a child um, up until it's being delivered. And, you know, these are not the right message for society, and they're not a message to live by. We need to recognize God had it right when he said, do not murder. And we need to recognize that unborn child as having the exact same God-given rights that we have. That we are, And see, this seems to me to be the 
the misguided notion of of the political solution, whether it's coming from the left or the right, the, their strategy seems to have been that there are only two ways to reduce or eliminate abortion by making it less necessary or by making it less available. But that leads to a zero-sum game. It seems to me that people will find a way to act out um, their deeply held beliefs. Well, by that, do you mean that uh, if abortion was illegal, someone would still seek one? Well, if we go back in time and space and we go, did people seek abortions before abortion was legalized? Well, we know the answer is yes. But we also didn't have what I would call a catastrophe. You know, obviously we could argue morally that the death of a child is always an an irreparable harm um, that's taking place in the world in which we live. But now when we start to talk about Roe v. Wade and we talk about not just 1 million or 2 million or 20 million or 60 million we we sometimes i think get overwhelmed by the statistics and the numbers but going back to what you are talking about and that is is there a way to convince people of the value the sanctity the dignity and the propriety of 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 eliminating state sponsored murder state sponsored murder yeah, so uh, we we end up back at God's enduring command. And so, as I see it, that's the only thing we have to stand on. You know, we can't be clever enough to think we're going to fool Planned Parenthood into going out of business. Um, and and people's hearts are evil. I mean, we know that. There's... there's uh, because abortion has been legal for so long, we've seen the diminished value of life. You look at how children are treated. Mm-hmm. You look at how adults, older adults are treated, senior citizens, um, people in nursing homes. Uh, what we have done is we've devalued human life by accepting this. And so where I see where we're at is we need God's help to mm-hmm. end this. But to call for that help, we have to be on a solid biblical foundation. We can't be afraid of the gospel and quoting the gospel, and we need to stand firm on right and wrong. So Planned Parenthood, another thing they used to say is, what about the life of the mother? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have to kill the baby. Well, that's always been insane. You know, you don't stop in an emergency and and kill the baby, you would always deliver that baby by cesarean section and treat both mother and baby with the best technical skill you have. Right. The, the commitment is to life, to try and figure out how to save life instead of end life. This is Gino Geraci. Yes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm thrilled that Brian Rohrbaugh has agreed to be my guest today. Thank you so much, Brian Rohrbaugh. And um, we've been talking about a number of different things. We're going to get to these issues, uh, uh, not issues so much as statements, if you will, about Reverend Martin Luther King. But, Brian, there was was a um, 
a news cast that I thought was almost unbelievable. And um, the paper is this is an article in the Ventura County Star. And it oh, this is the opening sentence, quote, if California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children, unquote. Wow. That's uh, utterly evil at, at every level. And, uh, and actually, if we're ever going to achieve equity, um, we're going to have to commit our lives to Christ. Because there is nothing more equitable than how the Bible teaches us to treat one another. Yeah, when when I was reading this, this, again, from the Ventura County Star, from Newsbusters, it says, if you think the author wrote this from an asylum, you would be wrong. In other words, if you're thinking, this guy's just nuts. Now, what's what's the tie, if you will, I think, Brian, the tragic, the tragic tie is how many parents, if you, if you just bluntly said, do you think the state owns your children? We know that most people don't believe that even for a moment, but yet we look to the state as being the satisfying solution to whatever problems we face, whether it is... Um, the, the the issue of promiscuity, whether it's the issue of safety, whether it's the issue, and we could go on down the line. But there seems to be a growing group of people who can say something like this with a straight face. Yeah, I think there's many in government that believe uh, the children are their pawns. You know, they see them as the future, the future voters. Um I think maybe that is common that people are leaning that way. And, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about the public schools, which I do extensively, right. um, I always acknowledge that I'm just like the person listening right now that has their kids in public school and is saying, you know, they're going to graduate soon or my school's better. I was just like that. But with a hard look, Public schools are dangerous for our kids. Now, you may have kids that have gone to public school, and and they've had a correct spiritual life. They're uh, born-again Christians. That may be the case. But the school itself is in absolute opposition to the gospel. From the very beginning, um, they teach the age of the earth, the millions of years old, the dinosaurs came and died. Well, all of that is against what the Bible teaches us. There wasn't the death of anything before Adam sinned. And so all that's in opposition to God's word. Uh, one of their core beliefs is literally that there are no absolutes you get to make up your own mind what's right for you. I remember asking the, believe she was the superintendent of Jeffco Schools, mm-hmm. on a live CNN Podcast. show that went on for two hours. Yeah, I asked her directly if she could condemn the two murderers, Klebold and Harris, 
because the school taught them they had the right to do anything they wanted as long as they thought it was right for themselves. And she was absolutely horrified. Ultimately, she said, I, I, I pushed her, and she said, well, yes, I condemn them. And then I asked her if the school ever taught that murder's wrong, and she said that was up to the parents to teach. Well, anyhow, if you keep going through what the school teaches, there's this right or wrong. They don't believe we're created. They teach that we evolved from the slime. And and so um, Harris was wearing a T-shirt. This is one of the Columbine murderers that said natural selection on the pocket. It was printed on the shirt. And that natural selection was, of course, Darwin's natural selection. These guys wrote extensively. Uh, they even had a little book they called the Book of God. It was about them. They were the gods. Mm -hmm. But they also made a basement video, which has never been released. I was fortunate enough to see it multiple times. But they said they had the right to kill those weaker than them because they were superior. In fact, they said they not only had the right, they had the obligation to wipe out those they deemed inferior. And so this is, this is what happens when you take things like evolution to its natural conclusion. Well, when you say yes. that, when you say that taking evolution to its national or to its natural conclusion, it, it creates, I think it generates not a neutrality towards um, religious beliefs, but a hostility a hostility where if you just simply say, well, what if there is a God? What if there is such a thing as right and wrong? What if, what if we are created in, in, in God's image? What if, what if, what if? Now we go all the way back before this Corona madness, uh, Brian, because I know you and your wife have, have done extensive research writing and participation in homeschooling. Um, and would you have guessed even for a moment that that maybe part of the COVID silver lining has been there are not just tens of thousands, there seems to be, dare, am I exaggerating, hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of parents are reconsidering their relationship to the public school system. Yeah, I, I think that's what's happened. Um, in some cases, people aren't really homeschooling. They're just doing an online class. Mm -hmm. But even that is safer. You know, right. your kids are at your home. But I think the other thing that's happened is people have watched the weirdness around this coronavirus and the way everything has been politicized mm -hmm. and that any questions you ask, you're immediately attacked for. And I, th I think they've found, you know, these schools really aren't wholesome. It's really not good for my kids. And I, I think in a lot of cases they've found that they love being around their kids mm -hmm. and that this is really a, a big benefit. But uh, to give you an idea, my wife has a, a group called Christian Homeschool Families, mm -hmm. and it is basically a support group for homeschoolers. And she has over 48,000 members now. That's amazing. And it's very common that each month there will be roughly 1,800 people, families, who ask to join and uh, of those, maybe they will approve about 1,000 of them. 
Wow. And uh, and that's because there are core beliefs. This is not a free for all. It's not a free speech zone where you can be wicked. This is a Christian group that's based on a Christian commitment. You know, one of the things that we've talked about over the years is the surprise, if you will, why more Americans aren't acting on their discontentment. Do you think that the coronavirus has caused more Americans to say, I am now willing to act on my discontentment with the public school system? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And and look, if you're a secular humanist, then the public school is exactly what you believe. Sure. But if you're a Christian, that's a secular humanist institution. And we are told over and over and over again in the Bible, uh, especially us fathers, that we're responsible for our kids. And so trying to say that there's salt and light in their school is not a valid discussion. That's not a valid argument. Um, Every time I have someone say that to me, uh, I always ask them, do you witness to your co-workers? I've never had anyone say yes. (laughs) And yet we're going to expect our children to do it. This is Gina Geraci along with Brian Rohrbaugh. So glad he's joined me on the program today. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's my privilege to have Brian Warbaugh on the program. We've been talking about a number of different things, and and our shift in our conversation has sort of taken place into the 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 public school system. And um, even before Corona Madness, Brian, we not only sensed, but we knew that public schools are not your childhood school. Our childhood school had some deep, deep difficulties and some deep, deep dangers. But the current public school system, do do you think dangerous is too strong of a word to describe not just the ideological circumstances that kids face, but on, on every level? Yeah, I think that word is terribly uh, insufficient for the dangers we're seeing in the public schools. Mm -hmm. You know, these are foundational issues. These are are things that once taught at a young age, you know, you have to come to the point in life where you say, if the Bible's true, these people were lying to me. You know, one of my... Literally, that's what we put our kids in. One of my friends who's fairly knowledgeable about this was quoting a litigious LGBTQ activist, and she told me, Brian, that she can't think of a single instance, not one single instance, where the ideology, the transgender ideology, sexual um, reality, you know, the whole that whole idea, the whole ideology has ever not been sustained. In other words, the, this book's author found only two instances nationwide ever where a conservative school board won, won, the, issue, won the victory on the issue. That means that 
that there is this ideological cancer that is so profound and so disturbing that even other people are starting to wake up and go and say, there's something really wrong here. Yeah, I, I, and, and tragically, that, that's absolutely true. And uh, one of the things that's happened in Christian circles is, is you know, there, there's a well-known pastor, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he is famously quoted as saying, let's not abandon the public schools, let's take them back. And, and that's a very unfortunate kind of mindset, because what you're advocating for is you're advocating that people put their children in a seriously dangerous place while you try to take it back. And then worse than that, you're pretending that this was somehow ordained by the Lord himself, and it was not. The public schools are not a biblical institution. And any time we make the mistake of treating them like they are or like they're a partner with our church— um, we're doing a big disservice to our fellow believers. Right. And I don't see this just as something that's happened in the most recent past. It seems that all trends, and I know you were involved in a documentary called... Um, Indoctrination. Yes. Um, repeat repeat that. Uh, the movie's name is Indoctrination. Yeah, the Indoctrination. Yeah. Yep. So in that in that movie, The Indoctrination... They they focused on the fact that all trends in U.S. public education have been irreversibly anti-biblical, anti-God, anti-Christian worldview for more than a century. We're not talking about a, a year or even a decade. We're talking about this entrenched turn that seems to be, dare I use the term, irreversible. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that as as Christians, um, all too often we kind of pretend that Satan can be dismissed, and and we need to study what the Bible tells us about Satan. Um, you know, he's a worthy opponent, and it would be very wise for us to recognize that this is the cleverness of Satan. How do you take over a nation? How do you take over a family, a neighborhood, whatever? You change that young generation. And everything that the school teaches, you're correct in saying it is anti-biblical. And the indoctrination movie does a very good job mm-hmm. um, of the history of public schools. And providing and, the documentation and support. And, Absolutely. In the in the early school board meetings in the 60s, where they were trying to get rid of the Bible or trying to bring in evil books and the people were protesting and and they got a small victory. And so they walked away. It's like the uh, Scopes trial, mm-hmm. the Scopes monkey trial. Yeah, you end up winning, but you lost the war. And and that's what happens so often when people decide they're going to fight against it. Um, this is one of those institutions that if you're a Christian, you need to get your children out of. You know, and, it seems it seems to me that some people are thinking that transgenderism or transsexual athletes or 
or sexual expression has sort of been the ideological mind, a canary in the mine. But it seems to me that this is something way worse, way deeper, that 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 isn't the canary in the mine. That that is the actual belief system that's been entrenched in the educational system in America. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I I think that uh, uh, each year they are showing more of their perverse thoughts and getting rewarded for it. I mean, look at this ridiculous uh, thing that happened where a daughter had been molested by Mm -hmm. a man a, a, a young man dressed as a woman, and then he was arrested at a school board meeting for talking about what happened to his daughter. Right. You know, th- this kind of perversion, you know, they're, um, they're proud to show what their deepest thoughts are at this point, and they are convinced, and I think rightly so, that parents can't change it. And I think that's what parents need to realize. Well, and I think, yeah, I think how could it be less true? Public schools are the breeding ground for peer driven conformity. Yes. And and so they're they're thinking the, the parents have no chance. They have no chance whatsoever. And I think they're right. I think the courts, um, the public school institution, the colleges, the politically correct, you know, those who will tell you what to think, the thought police, they're all united, and they have a common interest, and they've found a vehicle to achieve their goal. And and I think that's where we're at today. And and I've got to tell you, like I said, I'm, I'm like the parents listening that had my son in the public school. Mm-hmm. But, but I've got to tell you, uh, he was killed on a Tuesday, and he was left laying there 27 hours. Mm-hmm. The next morning, we opened the paper, and there was a picture of my son lying dead on the sidewalk of Columbine High School. And that was your death notification. And that was the only notification we got. And that picture won a Pulitzer Prize. It was shown around the world, papers everywhere on television everywhere and i want to tell you especially for you parents listening i want to tell you what i did i prayed to the lord to tell me where i had sent my son i'm so sorry brian I know. When we come back, more with Brian Rohrbaugh. Stay tuned. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks so much for joining me and listening to Brian's story. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.